Hello, and welcome to the Stationary Adjacent Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm joined by my friend, Stu Lennon. Stu, how are you today? I'm very well, Justin. What an absolute pleasure to actually speak to you for once. We're, uh, we're normally text warriors. Exactly. So it's uh, it's fun. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. My name is Justin Twyford. Um, so Stu, let's uh, talk about what we want to do here. We're going to talk about analog and digital productivity and the tools and systems that we use. Um, maybe we could start off for people that don't know us, uh, talking about who we are and sort of what brought us to this point. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Stuart Lennon. I'm I'm British, um, by which I mean all of it. Um, I'm part Scots, part Irish, part Welsh, and part English. Um, so uh, confused or a mongrel, depending on your point of view. <laughs> How did I get here? Well, I live in Cyprus, a little island in the eastern Mediterranean, where I came to semi-retire uh, very unsuccessfully, as I appear to be busier now than I was when I was working full-time. I have a couple of businesses. Um, some listeners may be familiar with me from uh, my stationary website, Nero's Notes, uh, or indeed my other podcast, 1857, which uh, we talk about, well, stationary type stuff. Other than that, I'm a financial services guy, so I talk about compliance and other such exciting things. Now, what do you actually do, Justin? <laughs> I was just thinking this is going to be a really boring podcast. You're a compliance and financial services, and I'm a professional accountant. Uh, if that hasn't oh, scared anybody off, uh, hopefully we can uh, talk about our more creative adventures too. Sure. I'm CFO for a group of companies, uh, so I'm very much steeped in the corporate jobby job world, uh, which is, I think, part of why uh, I wanted to do sort of a podcast on productivity. I hear a lot of the podcasts are creator-based, and that is great for the creative side of what we do, but it's not always that relevant to the corporate jobby job side. So uh, that's kind of what I wanted to bring to the table. Uh, I'm a stationary blogger. I have a podcast, another one as well. I'm a photographer, and sometimes when I have time, I even play some music. I have the creative side as well as the boring accounting side. And I, I promise we will not get into any long-winded discussions of compliance and procedures and standards and all those financial things that everybody loves to talk about. Oh, no. Especially uh, in North America here, we're coming up on tax filing time. So I'm, I'm not sure what that is for Europeans, but I'm assuming that you have something similar to you. It's it's actually no, I'm not going to talk about it. But we have a whole wide variety of of tax times. So my UK tax date is different from my Cyprus tax date. My companies all have different tax. It's always tax time in my world. But hey, that sounds as exciting as mine some days. <laughs> exactly. And people people wonder why we do creative things when we're not doing that. Well, it should be obvious. The, the other day, uh, it was eight o'clock in the morning. My first phone call out of the day, out of, out, out of the blue, was a uh, tax audit, Canadian tax auditor, uh, calling me from um, uh, about one of the businesses I'm at. And if there is nothing on a Monday morning to screw up your day better than a tax audit call at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, I've not found it. Mm. No, no, I, I, 
I, I sound convinced. Yeah, I'm not sure that would really get my day off to a great start. The trick is, of course, don't answer, don't answer calls. Don't answer <laughs> calls till 10. That's probably the secret. Yeah, well, that's uh, one of the things we have to talk about. Uh, so let's uh, talk about the podcast and what we want to talk about. I guess the first thing, work is hard. Let's, let's just start with that. You know, productivity, there's many systems out there that I think get in the way of actually doing the work. Productivity is a wonderful way to spend as much time as you actually have uh, without actually doing anything productive. Uh, you could spend hours and hours arranging your OmniFocus tasks or your to-do lists or writing in journals or what, whatever it is for each one of them. What the purpose that uh, Stu and I talked about is we're going to talk about productivity and the tools that allow you to focus on doing the work, uh, which hopefully is a little different from uh, the productivity prawn from the 2000s, the Merlin Mann GTD system focused discussions that were prevalent in those days. Mm, the productivity racket, as Merlin Mann himself used to call it. You know, we're we're going to sort of give our own, we're both uh, males of a certain age who have probably had similar experiences uh, living through the rise and fall of getting things done as uh, Cal Newport talks about it. We want to uh, talk about our lessons, what what works for us, and what really is, is effective from our own experience, both in the creative context, the five to nine as Squarespace uh, ads now are calling it, or the nine to five of the jobby job. For sure. I mean, I think that certainly in my life, there was always a division between the two. So uh, the, the nine to five productivity system was that the boss came and told me what he needed me to do. And, and that was it. There was, you know, very little room for maneuver. Then as I sort of went up through different businesses, got a bit more senior um, and had to start, managing my own time to a certain extent rather than just you know being sort of task managed do this do that do this do that um i started getting into all sorts of different tools which then this is something that fascinates me that i'm sure we'll talk about one time was at some point that sort of nine to five productivity became something that applied to every hour of my life I don't think anybody ever told me that was the case. It just became the case that, oh, what am I doing with my leisure time? Am I making the best use of my leisure time? And that whole, I suppose, overkill that you can, I think, if you've got a certain mentality that you can get into with these tools. Well, certainly I can. Maybe it's just me. Nope. Uh, definitely not just you. I've, I've been there. I've kind of hit uh, the limiter, if you like, on that one, and then I bounce back from it. And uh, surprisingly enough, I kind of time block some of my recreation to make sure that I actually have time th to do things. So I, I kind of have a hybrid approach to that. I'm not completely pulling it away from scheduling some personal activities uh, just because the things that are important, if they get scheduled, they get done. And whether that's spending time with the family or working on hobbies, uh, it's so easy to get distracted in sort of that never-ending task cycle. Oh, I've got this to do, to that to do. And we'll talk about to-do lists, I'm sure, in a, a much greater detail further down the line. I kind of use the word in our show notes, and, and Stu was not particularly happy about this one. Multi-potentialites. 
<laughs> I'm not sure I'm unhappy. I'm not sure I understand it. Uh, there was a book, and I got I got this from Bookworm FM podcast. Uh, they talked about it. The idea that people aren't just one thing and anymore. You know, you're not just somebody that does the nine to five at a job. You're likely also going to have some sort of creative context as well. And the fact that even a nine to five job nowadays can be, I'm doing a bit of this and I'm doing a bit of this and I'm doing a bit of this. I would say that you really fit into this. I know that you have business related activities, you've got consulting related activities, and then you sell notebooks and you write and all of these different things fall together under what could be called a multi-potentialite. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's a recognition, isn't it? Of, of the complexity of people that there was an understanding or, or perhaps a lack of understanding and, and accountants were put in one box and salespeople were put in another and, you know, I want this skill set for an accountant. I want that skill set for a salesperson. And it, it became almost defining. Certainly, I, I know lots and lots of salespeople I've worked with who sort of play to, to their image of a salesperson. They sort of aspire to be a caricature of themselves. Um, and the same with the, with the accountants or the, even, you know, compliance, dare I say. <laughs> and people aren't, people aren't like that. You know, people are complex and uh, work is, well, it's work. You know, we, we work to live. We, we don't live to work. So if, you know, becoming a, a compliance analyst uh, pays better than being becoming a salesman, there are lots of people that will, will, will plump for the compliance analyst, even though they may have no interest in compliance. Certainly, I've employed a few. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think recognizing that, you know, we all have these multifacets is, I, I think it's a huge step forward because it has created this, uh, what did you call it? Five to nine existence where, you know, lots of people have, what's the other phrase? A side hustle. There you go. Yes. Uh, something that they're doing uh, alongside their, their main jobby job because uh it ticks a box for them and that box might not be a financial one but just you know it's fun they enjoy it it it's a, an outlet for their creativity certainly i found that when i say i, I retired uh, i had a money transfer business my business partner and i set it up uh literally it was he and i and a, and a laptop and then we built it up to quite a substantial business which we then sold and so from one day to the other we were we were kind of busy, busy, busy in charge of uh, you know big teams across Europe, and then we weren't. And you know, part of the deal was you know go away and do not think about, talk about, do anything to do with this business for a certain amount of time. And uh, yeah, you know, go, go lie on a beach. That was pretty much the instruction. <laughs> That's a hard hard instruction to follow, isn't it? It is tough, and actually. I, th I sat down and went, this is fantastic. This is great because I've always wanted to write a novel. Great. I will sit down and write a novel and was utterly defeated by the vast expanse of time that was suddenly available to me. I've made tons more progress writing when I'm busy than when I've got time, <laughs> which is paradoxical, I guess. But um, it's that doing some consultancy work 
um, engaging with subjects that will, will literally send people to sleep gives me that sort of impetus to then say, okay, I've got an hour now where I can get into the book or record a podcast or you know, do one of the other things that sort of lights my fire. I need to be, I'm going to struggle with this, a multi-potential light. <laughs> I can't, I can't single task. I can't be just one aspect of me because I just disappear in a sort of funk and go, oh, I'm bored, oh, demotivated. Oh. Um, I need that spark. Netflix, here we go. Yeah, I need that spark. I need, I need the, the friction of time conflicts, of time constraints. If you want something done, give it to the busy man. Yeah, exactly that. Definitely. If you want something done, the busier you are, the more you can schedule your time for it and, uh, and focus on, on what needs to get done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so how's the novel going? Well, it's, it's, it's in its third, uh, third or fourth iteration now. So I wrote two novels um, and I then, oh, Oh, that sounds like uh, sounds like my wife is printing in the background. There we go. Um, I wrote a couple of novels that were loosely based on on my experience. So I was working in Central Europe uh, just about the time, just after the wall had come down. So once the Soviet Union had collapsed, and countries that we hitherto were slightly sort of vague concepts to us, like. Czechoslovakia, as it used to be, became the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, that whole area. I was working there and it was, in many ways, it was the equivalent to the Wild West. There was lots of money coming out of Russia. How it was coming out of, of Russia was, was in itself an interesting question. Uh, there was a lot of business coming in from the West, so American firms and uh, British firms, all trying to take advantage of this sort of new promised land. Uh, and it was madness. It was chaos. And I had occasions where uh, I remember memorably somebody coming to me with a with a suitcase full of dollar bills, uh, <laughs> high denomination dollar bills, um, because I was running, um, I was working uh, with Western Union, not not for them, but with them. Uh, and they said, "Send this money for me to to America." Um, I said, "Oh." Uh, what money? And he opened the suitcase and I went, huh, okay, um, this is going to be a little bit challenging because I'm going to need ID, I'm going to need to, no, 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 no passport. Okay. Um, you know, that type of thing was quite commonplace. Um, I hastened to add, I didn't send the money and just very politely told the gentleman that he should probably go somewhere else. Um, but that, that was, to me, was fascinating because I got a little insight just to the edge of organized crime. Wow. Uh, and because we were reasonably well-paid people uh, in a country where everybody else wasn't reasonably well-paid, you know, we had money in our pockets. So that's where I discovered casinos. That's where I discovered, um, you know, very high-powered nightclubs and parties. And I, did, I was having the time of my life. But there was always a slightly dodgy, there we go, there's a, there's a British technical term for you, <laughs> a dodgy edge to it all. It was like, mm, okay, this could all go horribly wrong. So I wrote a couple of novels about that, and then I read them and went, okay, I, I need to decide whether I'm writing a thriller or whether I'm writing a memoir. 
because the memoir would be great fun for about 30 people, <laughs> people who know me and who were there and who were part of it. Um, a thriller needs to be something different, and I need to remove a lot of this and add a lot of that. Uh, so the whole thing became very iterative. And I'm almost there, I would say, now. I've, um, I've got a structure to I've, I've essentially rewritten the thing now three times. And I'm beginning to hate it, which I'm told is a really good sign. Um, that's, that's a sign that I'm getting to where I need to be, to be getting to. Um, and my plan was, I was fairly certain I would get it published last year, but then for one reason or another, um, largely my, my wife, um, became very unwell. She had back problems and, um, was literally unable to get out of bed. And then there was this little, um, virus thing. You may have heard of it over there. Sort of, what was it called? Oh, coronavirus. Yep. Sort of brought chaos to everything. And I'm now publishing another one, but we'll get to that another time. So yeah, it's going well. I don't give it as much time as I would like to, but in many ways that probably works for me. So I, I, I need that pent up energy to then say, okay, I've now got this day I'm going to dedicate to the book and I can probably bang out a week's worth of work in a day if I've got this sort of pent up energy from not being able to get to it. Hmm. Do, do you wait for the muse to strike or do you schedule the muse? Uh, I schedule the muse. Um, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm blessed with a lot of muses. So <laughs> I'm, I'm writing uh, another book about my Camino, um, which again, I'm sure we'll talk about sometime, which uh, just walking across Spain. So you walk from the, the east, uh, the Pyrenees, all the way to the west coast, uh, Santiago. It's a pilgrimage. And I'm walking that in stages, uh, in theory, over five years, apart from the aforementioned virus, which has kind of slowed things down a bit. But um, I'm writing a memoir of that, which I'm publishing through my website uh, to my members who are very kindly acting as sort of beta readers and uh, almost editors to a certain extent, giving me feedback um, of, of you know, how it feels to read. Uh, and then I'll take all of that feedback and get up, dare I say it, a proper editor. Uh, and then I'm going to publish the thing uh, as a whole. Nice. Because it's, it's important to me. It's one of those personal projects you think, you know, I, I'd like to mark that by recording it. So that will be the, the first big published thing. Uh, and then I'm going to set my mind to, uh, Sean is the working title of, of the book. It's not going to be called that, but that, that is the name of the protagonist, Sean. So Sean one and Sean two has now become Sean three. The idea is that I will take this character through a whole load of scenarios, some of which uh, are real and some of which are imagined. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's starting off. He's in Hungary. He's in Budapest. Uh, at the moment, having the time of his life as a young man. And yeah, just generally getting himself into all sorts of trouble. There are, you know, casinos, nightclubs, all of the things I just mentioned. Uh, a suitcase full of cash somewhere in there too. Yeah, I dare say that will turn up at some point, uh, probably more than once. Yeah, uh, problems to have, a suit f suitcase full of cash. <laughs> exactly um and uh, you know some of it's even real you never know some of it isn't <laughs> yes uh, it does not just come with the disclaimer everything is uh fictional and not based on real life stuff at all 
uh, just to avoid getting sued. I, I'm not worried about it getting sued, but getting shot. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, there will be, I'm sure, a, a very large uh, page. Oh, look at this! I'm being visited. I'm being visited by a dog. My uh, my smaller dog has just come and placed his paws upon me. I think it might be time for. Ah, yes, we're very close to the to feeding time. Ah. This is an eating machine. This dog. Uh, talking of dogs, you've got a dog, haven't you? I, I have. I have the world's biggest princess. Actually, as a dog, um, she is the most spoiled dog ever. Um, she's a long-haired Lassa Apso. So imagine a little foo-foo dog with a ponytail to keep her, uh, on the top of her head to keep her hair out of her eyes. Um, this is that dog. Um, supposedly it was uh, my wife and my daughter's dog, and I sort of fell in love with her. And we spend a lot of time working from home together over the last year. She has become quite the, the little attention hound. Uh, she sleeps in the bed next to me, right on top of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, this morning we had to move cars. We have a long driveway out here and my wife had to go to work while I was recording. So we had to switch our cars around. And of course, uh, the dog Coco knows what time it is and jumps up onto, onto me because she likes to go for car rides. So she sits in, in the passenger seat while I back out of the driveway, let my wife back out and then pull back in. So she's a very, very spoiled dog. Uh, tell me about your dogs. You have uh, two of them, uh, rescues, I believe, both of them. Yeah, we've, uh, we have, we have a, they're both moving now. It's definitely feeding time. We have uh, a Cypress poodle, um, which as far as I know, is just a poodle with um, impurities. But, oh, I've got, I've got two dogs fighting now. It really is getting exciting in here. I was going to say that. I thought it was your tummy uh, for uh, feeding time for uh, Stu as well. No, that's that's the poodle. She uh, she takes no messing. So yeah, she is. She was one of eight litter of eight that were left in a cardboard box outside of a dog shelter. And Cyprus culture is not brilliant around dogs. They see dogs very much as tools. Um, and if you've got a hammer that you don't like anymore, or you've got too many hammers, you just throw them away. And, and that's what uh, tends to happen with dogs here. So we adopted two of these uh, puppies, two poodles, uh, and they developed a thing called littermate syndrome. I don't know if you've come across that, but they become codependent. So they were sisters, and they would only sleep sort of well, they, they, they look like a cinnamon whirl i don't know if that works in in uh, across the atlantic a sort of a, a pastry that you couldn't tell where one started and where the other finished they were just entwined when they slept uh, and then when they woke they would fight seemingly towards death i mean they were sort of drawing blood oh wow uh, type fighting it was really fierce and the only real solution for that is to separate them. So my dog is called Spice and her sister was called Sugar. You can see where I was going with that. Um, and Sugar now uh, lives in the UK. She was adopted by somebody in the UK. Oh, wonderful. Spice is, sounds as though she'd get on okay with yours. She's, she's kind of spoiled. She's very much her mum's dog. She's very much Margaret's dog. And she... Well, she likes to do things at her own pace. She doesn't really like to be pushed around. And then recently, uh, through the joy of Facebook, we um, Margaret got sort of tempted by another dog. And she didn't, I 
don't think, well, I know she didn't have a clue what she was getting herself into. So Charlie is um, a, a purebred Jack Russell. Um, now, if you're not familiar with a Jack Russell, uh, it's a sort of pocket-sized psychopath. That's that's what a, a Jack Russell is. It's uh, it's got he he's got an amazing nose for trouble. He can find that, that's him. You hear him coughing there in the background. That's probably because he's got a lump of his sister's fur in his throat. Um, but yeah, he just uh, he. He lives life at a million miles an hour. Uh, he's a complete handful. And he was, he'd been with the family for about 18 months. And they had a couple of small kids. So he's wonderful with other animals. He's wonderful with children. He just wants to play and just be part of, part of, part of fun. Uh, but when he's alone, he then just remodeled everything. So I think he tore apart a couple of their couches. Um, I think he was working his way through some wooden doors. I mean, he he does sort of, you know, bound over fences in single leaps and he's, he's just, he's barely manageable. Uh, and certainly my my wife, Margaret, who is not, she's not got huge experience with dogs. She <laughs> she finds him too much of a handful. I, on the other hand, think he's brilliant. I, uh, he's wonderful. He's like, um, he's like an animated cartoon dog. Uh, complete with sound effects yeah he uh, honestly he runs into walls he he does all sorts of stuff he's fabulous um and so the two of them together uh as you just heard uh they like to have a good fight but slowly slowly they're becoming reasonably comfortable with each other spice very much resented him turning up and spice is uh, an incredibly fussy eater and eats very slowly oh i know all about that one yeah, well, well, Charlie inhales his food. Uh, he it does not touch the sides. We we got him one of those bowls, you know, which got sort of disruptive walls within the bowl to try and stop him. Yes, yes. Yeah, it does, doesn't work. He still eats uh, his own body weight in food in about fifteen seconds, uh, and and then Spice lies next to her her bowl, guarding it. She doesn't want to eat it, but she doesn't want him to either. <laughs> and so, so there are times you've got. Charlie trying to engineer a way to get to her bowl, Spice facing him off, and Margaret, my wife, shouting at both of them. You know, it sounds a lot like uh, Coco. Uh, Coco is such a fussy eater that uh, sometimes she just doesn't eat at all. And if she doesn't eat, she has a little um, tummy that gets upset very easily. You've never had kids, but you've probably had a girlfriend at one point that uh, has been, uh, how do I say this nicely? Um... Overindulged in alcohol. <laughs> yes, that's a nice way to put it. And, and over the toilet bowl, and you're holding the hair back. Um, if uh, Coco barfs, uh, I have to actually hold her ears and her hair back so she doesn't uh, stink of barf for the next uh, several hours. So I end up uh, quite often hand feeding Coco one kibble at a time. There's only one kibble she will eat, and she is such a picky eater as well. So maybe it's something to do with the uh, <laughs> uh, the, the female dogs in our lives that are just uh, like that, very similar. I, I'm fairly certain the blame lies with us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, though, you know, there's something about holding back a dog's ear so she can barf outside that is, um, you know you've, you're, you're in love with your puppy when you do that. <laughs> I think you're quite so. Oh, dear. dogs, 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 dogs. Wonderful 
productivity. All right. So uh, we, we have some similarities. Obviously, dogs are a big thing. We've both got uh, experience in various levels at, uh, in a corporate world. Uh, we both love stationery and tech. You, you have a stationery company. I write a stationery blog. Uh, let's talk about the intersection of sort of how that goes, because we're, we're both productivity nuts in some ways. Uh, I've, no, I've known you for several years, obviously, through your podcast we've got uh, in touch and we've we've typed back and forth many many times how, how long have you been sort of searching for the productivity evolution that that gets you uh to where you want to be um well uh, yeah i suppose my my journey began in a business where um for the first time ever i was presented with a planner somebody gave you know the company gave me a planner and said, you must use this. And now there are people of a certain age who have got no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, if you think of Microsoft Outlook, but printed, <laughs> that's kind of what planners used to look like. The one that I had was a Daytimer, mm -hmm. which is an American outfit, and it's a, a ring binder. So I suppose the nearest sort of equivalent brand would be Filofax. Uh, and it had very jobby job focused pages. So the ones that I liked were the reference, the reference format. So every six minutes, you had a little line on the right hand side. So I could record what I was doing for those six minutes. And there goes your productivity, recording your productivity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, the trick of this, I mean, I, I wasn't doing, I wasn't working in a business where I was billing uh, by the hour or, or anything, but the company wanted me to record meetings you know outcomes of meetings processes agreements because the the ceo had successfully won a law case using his planner as evidence mm -hmm. so he was able to say you know we had a meeting on the 15th of january we discussed the following things and we agreed the following things and that was enough to sway the judge that his claim was legitimate now I don't think I was ever that um, diligent in, in completing my daytimer, but it gave me that habit and it created a wonderful bookshelf because a daytimer, you've got the actual binder, then you have your archive binder. So you, you put a month's worth of pages into your daytimer and carry it around with you. And then you take that month out and put it into your archive binder and take the next month. So you've got a little system going on automatically. You're being trained into something. Um, and just like everything else in stationery, you've got 455,000 options to customize of different page. Oh, expenses sheets. Oh, yeah, I'll have some of those. Oh, look, a map of Vancouver. You never know. I might be going to Vancouver. I need that in there as well, next to my map of Tokyo, just in case I go there. And all of these things start building up along your shelf and you've got five archives the last five years and you might have changed size because you can have this in A5, you can have it in A4. You can... And I, at that point, I just got, that's the first time I thought, wow, you could get so into the productivity, the recording, that you'd never have time to do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for... I'm going to say a long time, maybe maybe 10, 10 years or so. Um, and then I worked, uh, I, I set up another business with, with a friend and we went 
pretty much all in digital. Still had diaries, but worked very hard to make sure that we were recording things digitally so that we could share. It was just the two of us setting up the business. And, uh, you know, we were everything. We were compliance, we were finance, we were sales, uh, we were operations, we were customer service. Uh, We covered the whole thing. And so it was handy to know at least where the other one was. And that's where the, the digital is, is unbeatable because you can, you can share things. And that then took me into that world. What year would that have been? Um, we set up in 2000 and, oh, 2004. So yeah, you didn't know there was going to be a test on the podcast, did you? No, <laughs> giving away my age. My God, 2004. Yeah, 2004. We'd worked together. He, he worked with me in the company with the daytimers. So he had a daytimer too. But we, and I think we both probably kept them for a couple of years, but we set up our new business in 2004 where we really focused on on putting everything in, into that sort of online system. It was, you know, nothing complicated. It was uh, it was Microsoft Outlook mm-hmm. we were using. It was the, the Microsoft suite. Um, and that sort of took me into that. That's That's when I began to look at the science, the the actual data of productivity and what's been seen to work and what's seen not to work. And we'll come back to him, my, my business partner, because he, I don't know how, but he was, he must've been David Allen's love child. He, he was, he was running, uh, get things done with no understanding or knowledge of get things done. He, he just did it. Um, and he didn't use folders. He had little plastic wallets that you you put papers into, so A4 size, and he'd, he'd have those, and he would write on them with a Sharpie. What they were for. Whatever the project was. And I would, you know, he, he would open his drawer, and he'd pull out six of these things and put them on his desk. And I'd say, what are they? And he'd say, oh, those are the things that are current at the moment. And then during the day, I'd see him reach for them and work for one. That was, you know, it for me to understand that, I had to read four books. And he just knew it. I, I don't know where he knew it from. I must talk to him one day and find out where he knew it from. But yeah, that's where I got into it. What about you? Where did you get into all this productivity? Yeah, I, I remember uh, the daytimers also from uh, the corporate world. When you got one of those, and particularly if you got the leather cover, the zip-up leather cover, you, you'd made it, you know. That was uh, a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always envied the Franklin Covey version of it. I don't know if you ever got that in Europe. That was like the premium version, but uh, no uh, office uh, companies would ever have that, that uh, your your corporate supply place would supply to you. I got into GTD very early. Uh, I'm not sure how I got turned on to it, uh, but I remember getting into GTD at the point where it's actually funny, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm working from home. I have a little briefcase that is designed for files. And I originally bought that back in probably 2001, 2002, when I got onto David Allen's GTD system. And I used to print out things and put them in a tickler file. And then I became, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you, a little more digitized. And I, I know if this sounds so ridiculous now in the day of the days of how to work email, but uh, my Outlook, I had 43 folders um, under the inbox and I would take my inbox and go down to inbox zero. Before I even knew that inbox zero was a thing, uh, I would put things in their 
tickler file, my digital tickler file within Microsoft Outlook. So that was sort of my transition. Uh, I had, you know, I always use the day timers. I, well, I, I even use a file effects now, uh, but we'll get onto why I do that and what the reasons for that are uh, probably in another episode. But I, I, I use the day timers for a long time. Um, they were great. You know, if you ever needed to fax your lawyer a copy of that, uh, you could do that. Nowadays, uh, I don't even think any offices have fax machines anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, well, note for any younger listeners, a fax machine. Google it. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Uh, yes, a print printer and scanner all in one. Let's call it that with uh, uh, thermal paper that <laughs> curled up and uh, turned black on you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got into the productivity space very, very early in sort of the GTD cycle. I didn't spend a lot of time on the online side of it, the, the Merlin Man side. I got into Boudreaux's when they came out, uh, when they didn't have a hashtag. Uh, and we're just uh, a guy with a couple of overhead videos telling you how to make uh, educated lists and sort of develop my own sort of hybrid um, digital and analog system. I'm always looking for that that next way to keep me focused. And one of the things I'm playing with at the moment is, is sort of time blocking. That's sort of my latest uh, evolution of how do i how do i schedule my tasks and make sure i get the important things mm. done rather than just the the task list that it's easy to pop up i'm i'm weird in that i'm not a fan of email cal newport actually has a book coming out uh, this week about cal newport is an author that did digital minimalism deep work uh, he's got a new book uh, about the how not to use email so I'm quite looking forward to reading that. Uh, I, I still keep up to date on my productivity gurus out there. I have a very personal system, but at the same time, it's been, I've learned that over, over a, a period of some years in figuring out all the wrong things to do. You know, all, sure. all, all the times I've filled in a to-do list with something I've just done just so I could take that moment of glory and ticking something off. I, and now I'm, I'm, I'm much less focused on the to-do list. But I do think there's a lot of value in planning your day in the review process, in capturing and configuring your, your inputs uh, so that you're doing that, you're, you know, one of the things that always scares me is people that live in an email inbox, you know, and use that for working tools because, you know, that the ability of other people to distract you is, is so huge. Uh, and unfortunately, so many people, sure. so many, so many corporate organizations do still revolve around some sort of immediate conversation you know whether it's an email or or whether it's a slack message or uh, an instant message in skype or whatever your corporate work is and i'm a big proponent of working with my teams to not be responsive to that to have check-in times to you know to to work on some of those ways to be productive and not at the beck and call of other people yet still having, you know, like office hours that we can communicate and get things done. So I've, again, I've got uh, lots of uh, sort of jobby job history. And of course, uh, you know, the, the five to nine, the side hustle, trying to bring that creative side into that is, is also been an interesting challenge. 
Uh, some of the things that work very well for corporate can get in the way of their creative side. You know, it's very hard to, to be creative. But again, you know, you've got to schedule the muse, as we talked about earlier. So, yeah, it's, a, it's been a, an interesting journey. I'm sure we'll get into it. One thing that I want to talk to you about, because uh, I think we're both in the same, the same place on this one, we use a lot of analog and digital tools. How important are analog tools to you, Stuart? Oh, wow. Um, how long have you got? What can I say? The act of writing, uh, I, I, mean, I think it's well proven now, is different from the act of typing. So uh, if we just take the, you know, the, the building block of productivity, the task list, writing a task list is far more effective than typing one in. I think it's partially it's because of the effort involved, because you don't want to write things down just because you're writing them down. Your, your brain has time to keep up with what's going on. There's something about it. I don't understand the science, and I'm, I wouldn't claim to be able to explain it. But for me, at least, it's very important to sit with some paper or a card or something blank and say, right, this is what I am going to do. It's, it's that declaration of, um, you know, I, I guess we're similar in that we both have digital systems that will say, you have 476,000 things to do, but fortunately you've got a long time to do them. That's all great, and that's important, particularly for me. I don't know about you, but my memory is getting worse and worse and worse. I read a blog post about this where I got, I got fined by the police for not having taxed my car. <laughs> yes, I think I remember that. Purely and simply because I just completely forgot. Um, so I need a task manager that will, in some way, let me know that I've forgotten something. I need that, and the best way for me to do that is is uh, digitally because diaries whilst great don't actually give me reminders nevertheless at the start of each day and perhaps more importantly at the end of each day i get out a writing implement and some paper based product and say okay what i actually do is say right okay for tomorrow i have got to do this and i write it down and i make a decision that's going to be my thing tomorrow and as you just said I start doing that thing before I go anywhere near email. Mm -hmm. Just in case there's somebody out there who's got a different idea of what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. <laughs> um, I don't give them the opportunity to tell me that until I've done the thing I wanted to do. Then I'll look at what other people want me to do. Mm, perfect. So for me, yeah, it's really important. That, that little analog step uh, is important. And in fact, you know, I work really hard to make sure that my digital can tell me the stuff I need to know, but at the time I want it to tell me. Um, otherwise, it, as you say, I, you know, um, it, it happens sometimes. You disappear down a slack hole, and before you know it, you've had a great laugh and a great time, but two hours have gone, and you're, you know, your 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 time blocked time for the big thing you were going to do this morning is gone. You have to be so careful, or I have to be, because I've got the attention span of a a small dog. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on that one. I, I think the cognitive switching that you get from picking up a, a quality pen. Now, I'm I, I'm certainly a fan of of quality stationary items. Probably since I was about 10 years old, I've always been looking for the next best writing experience. Maybe just because my handwriting is so terrible that uh, I wanted something that could relate. But the, the, the act of writing things down, even from my early ages, was something that uh, helped me clarify my, my own perspective. I, I got to say, one of the biggest things that I miss about pandemic life is I used to take my my notebooks and my digital. I used to have a little uh, iPad with a cell connection, and I'd go sit in the Starbucks on a Sunday morning, and I'd have my coffee, and I would do my review, and I would uh, schedule the big blocks out of the week that I wanted to accomplish so that uh, I had an idea. Certainly forward planning and everything like that. And of course, sitting in a coffee shop is not necessarily the best idea are even possible, and certainly the experience has changed a lot over the last year or so. I miss that certain parts of that cognitive switching are still uh, still missing for me uh, in in my life, but I really do enjoy the aspect of picking up a quality pen or pencil and a nice notebook and and planning out my day, taking my digital, uh, looking at my digital, and as Stu said, picking what is the most important thing I need to do. What is the most value that I can do at this point in time? Not necessarily the most urgent. Uh, we can get into Eisenhower matrix and, you know, important, urgent, not important, you know, and, and figuring out True. all of those wonderful ways to process it. But just the manual part of reviewing your day every day and saying, this is what I need to do. These are, you know, uh, Stephen Covey talks about the, uh, the big blocks. If you put the big blocks in place, you can fit all the little stuff around it. And despite what everybody thinks, sure. especially in a corporate world, email is not one of the bigger blocks, and neither is instant messaging. So if you, if you could do that, you can actually be much more productive in, in not just a way of churning more widgets, but making a valuable contribution. You know, the w- work is hard, setting yourself up for success. Work does not do well in 15-minute increments or five-minute increments. If you can set aside a, a time to really work on that, as you were talking about with, your, with Sean, if you get a day to work on Sean, you're going to be so productive on that. It, the hard part is getting that day without any competing priorities, which we all do have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, uh, I suppose, accidentally... So in my case, the analog hugely supports all of the modern thinking about deep work, about focus, about single tasking, you know, that doing that one thing that, you know, there you go. There's the, there's the title of a book, the one thing, um, analog supports that. Now I don't go to the extent of turning all my machines off. But I know that we both have similar views on notifications, which is go away. We don't want them. <laughs> um, so I can sit at this desk where I'm sitting now uh, and I can literally, my, my microphone is on a boom. I can pull, push that away. I can turn the monitor in front of me off. And I've got a big writing pad here with one of those leather desk pads with my notebooks, my pens, 
and I can sit here and say, right, I'm going to write something or I'm going to plan something or I'm going to brainstorm something with no distractions. Mm-hmm. And, and analog, you know, never sends you notifications, not even banners, <laughs> not, not even the quiet ones that you don't count as notifications. None of that happens on the analog and it supports that, that way of thinking. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that way of thinking works. As you've just said, you know, the, the Cal Newport stuff is excellent. Um, and I think it builds on a lot of what went before. Definitely. I think that's what productivity is. It's not, nobody's going to come up with, you know, I, th- I think GTD, even though that was actually based on a system from uh, a filing system that uh, people used to use in the 1950s or so, um, the mm-hmm. the Tickler file system was not something created by David Allen, but he brought that out and, and sort of brought it into common common culture uh i i I know you're you're also reading about zettelcasting at the moment uh and looking at a way Mm -hmm. to do that again not something new it's just more new applications and new ways to implement those knowledge-based activities into into your current life i guess i do want to question though Stu. uh you and i have we're very similar in a lot of ways but we're also quite different in in some ways and i think it's important as we're you know we're kind of framing what we're going to be talking about in future episodes to throw out some of the differences. Tell me about your choice of, of pens and why you choose those and what computers you use. Okay. So, uh, we'll start with analog, um, pens. Uh, I'm a lefty, uh, which can be problematic if you're a fountain pen user, but, um, I think differently from right handers, lefties have a load of different writing styles, whereas I think right-handers probably have less. And where it comes from is that we write uh, in the Western world from left to right. And what that means is that, generally speaking, as you write something as a left-hander, your hand is going to trail across what you've just written. And if you've just written that in wet ink you have uh, the potential for a mess. Uh, And lefties learn this at school. Or, well, sorry, lefties in their 50s learn this at school. And we come up then with a variety of coping strategies. Now, one of them is to become an overwriter. So um, this is very difficult to visualise, but if you push your left hand straight out in front of you and then hook your fingers back towards so they're pointing at your chest and then stick a pen between your thumb and your finger and write that way. You're kind of writing upside down. It's bizarre, but I see a lot of left-handers do it and that's called overwriting. The method that I use is that I, generally speaking, write at an angle. So if I've got a piece of paper in front of me on the desk, um, I will turn it almost horizontal so i will turn it to 90 degrees so that my hand is not dragging across what i've just written so that's kind of an underwriter this explains how you can handle the big juicy nibs that i know you're fond of that's what i was going to say perhaps that's why i've always been drawn to big pens so The first fountain pens I had as a kid would have been the Parkers, 
Um, I was given, I think, a Parker 45 as a present once um, when I was at school. Uh, and that, that was a great way of getting ink over everything you own. Uh, any Parker <laughs> pen would, would throw ink everywhere. And then when I was sort of getting back into the analogue, my first wife very kindly uh, got involved at a charity auction in bidding for a pen. Uh, regrettably, she was using my money. And it was a Mont Blanc limited edition. So uh, they do the, the writer's editions. Mm-hmm. And this was the, the three-pack. So you had the, the mechanical pencil, the ballpoint, and the big boy fountain pen. And it was the Charles Dickens uh, edition. Oh, very nice. And the auctioneer was, well, the auctioneer later, actually, he married the great 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 granddaughter of charles dickens uh, who's called catherine and is a charming woman uh, very very nice um and my wife got very excited and bid lots of money for this and being a scot i i thought well if i've paid all that money for it i'll have to use it and it was a it was a broad nib which i later got changed for a double broad oh and it's a big pen it's um if you're signing hugely important contracts this is the sort of pen you want it puts a load of ink down on the plate i've always been drawn to those and i still i would say my collection of pens is probably in fountain pen terms i'm probably about 50 he said hedging his bets um probably 25 30 of those would be broad or double broad i have moderated a little i i do use some mediums and i've even got brace yourself one fine nib uh in my rotation oh wow um and every time every time i write with it i go no 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 no, this, this simply won't do and uh, go go up to a bigger one is your handwriting large uh well by necessity yeah i mean if 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 it's a double broad nib you, you can't write small but given a free hand my writing is tiny. Oh, interesting. So when I, was, uh, when I was younger and I would be using fine liners and the like, it would be tiny, 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 and I have to concentrate on making it bigger. That might be another reason I'm drawn to a larger nib, is that it, it forces me to sort of form letters properly rather than make, you know, tiny little indentations and, and make the reader guess, which I suppose is what I used to do before. I used to have. Do you, um, have you come across the Rotring needle pens? Uh, yes, I have. So, you know, technical technical drawing pens, technical design pens. I had a set of those. The Micron fine liners are like that out here now. Okay, yeah. I mean, this was a, a time when you, you filled this, um, you filled uh, the barrel with sort of really dark permanent black ink (laughs) again there was ink everywhere when i was a boy it was i was spreading it all over the place (laughs) um and these things were you know my mother was in fear of these pens and and i used to draw maps of imaginary islands and put on um sort of fantasy gaming type stuff you know D type stuff okay there's the you know the the forest of doom or something equally imaginative and I would draw out these little worlds using these tiny fine pens and writing tiny little text with the names. And perhaps all of this big stuff is a reaction to that. I don't know. Anyway, enough of my therapy. What about you? What pens do you use? See, I'm, I, again, I'm completely the opposite. Uh, I still like my very small writing. 
I had to laugh when you talked about the Parker 45. I always remember my uh, English school shirt. Uh, believe it or not, despite the accent, I am originally English. I had the Parker 45, and I think every white shirt that I had to have for school had a blue stain in the bottom of the, the chest pocket from that bloody pen. We, we may, in fact, be brothers. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just one of those things. It was really hard to um, uh, be a fashionable young man, you know, uh, trying to be attractive to uh, the opposite sex and uh, having this uh, blue blob under wow. your uh, left nipple. <laughs> but uh, yes, it, uh, yeah, I, I, I look fondly back at those days and think I quickly got away from those two rollerballs and, and ball pens. And uh, I kind of spent a lot of time looking for quality stuff. Rotring was funny when you mentioned that. That was actually one of the pens that got me back into it. Actually, more than mechanical pencils, but got me back into caring very much about my stationary choices. I tried different... Over here, fountain pens are not a common thing. They're becoming more common. But uh, back in the day, you had to go to a particular stationery shop for it. But if you went to, you know, the Office Depot and the, the Staples out here, which are the big supply companies, you could buy common cross and Schaefer types of uh, consumer-grade fountain pens, uh, none of which ever writes properly. And, you know, certainly I never knew how to tune a nib. Uh, I got into the same thing. I finished a university degree and bought myself a Mont Blanc and very much like you got fell back in love with the fountain pens. Uh, that was a medium nib and uh, is my signing pen to this day. Uh, I still use it for that, but I find it just too wet and, and juicy. Uh, my choice nowadays, because I, I tend to use smaller dot grid notebooks, I, I like a a Japanese fine, extra fine. I even may have a platinum ultra extra fine around, which uh, I, I, Lord. I think you could use it for giving yourself a vaccine uh, <laughs> right about now. Uh, yeah, there. It's, it's certainly something that I don't think uh, you would be comfortable using just with the feedback and the way it runs. Uh, but certainly, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's funny because I'm a right-hander, I'm naturally an underwriter. I could use the bigger the bigger juicy pens. I do have uh, a few um, stub nibs, 1.1s and you know 1.5s. Yeah. Uh, they are more for playing with certain types of ink, uh, but they're not daily writers for me. And uh, on a podcast, I refuse to admit how many pens I actually own, uh, just in case my wife ever listens. <laughs> Uh, I think I think I'm safe that my wife won't listen to that. But I think 50 is probably well. I, I I've defended my position quite well by saying 50. Um, obviously, having a stationary website as a business means that I can very much blur the lines between what might be mine and what might belong to the business. Um, so, uh, Claire, the long-suffering Claire, who actually runs Nero's Notes. Uh, sends me out a package every, I don't know, six to eight weeks from the UK. And that's where the odd uh, purchase gets smuggled in because the postal delivery system here is awful. So I get everything delivered to the UK and then uh, couriered over here with uh, with UPS. Although at the moment that's proving quite difficult. I've got a, a package that's been stranded in an airport in Essex now for about three days. I don't know what's going on with that. But anyway... Electronics then, what do I use for electronics? Well, I use everything now. 
my digital is everything. I I suppose I I came across to Apple in about ooh, I suppose 2010 when the first Air came out uh, that Steve Jobs advertised you know with the with the Manila envelope you know it fits in one of those <laughs> so that the, the 11 inch uh, MacBook Air uh, that got me into Windows I'd had a phone uh, into Windows sorry that got me into the Mac I'd had an iPhone uh, I suppose a year or two before that. And then I became 100% Mac. Uh, so I, I had a Mac, an iMac, and then I had a MacBook Pro, um, various and sundry iPads, iPhones, all, all of the things, all of the, all of the Apple things. Um, and I've recently started working with a client who's is an old colleague of mine from, from years gone by. It's his business. And I'm doing some of the boring stuff for him in the background. But he also said, he said, look, will you be my sort of, you know, junior sales guy out there? Just, you know, it's not, it's not my thing. It's not my metier, but, you know, would you, while we're kind of working out how to make everything? Yeah, sure. So he's got a very successful business um, and I'm helping that business get going in Cyprus. Although, you know, lockdowns and COVID and stuff is a bit of a challenge. What's more of a challenge for me is that I've, I've, accidentally blundered back into a corporate culture um most of my consultancy work i can do at, at arm's length and okay i make a concession i use the microsoft suite i use excel and word because it's just easier than sort of moving it from numbers to to excel um but i can do all that on my max there, there's not a problem back in this little corporate world into which i have blundered there are people who want to talk to me on a thing called Microsoft Teams, uh, which is, it's, it's an ancient sort of um, uh, torture method um, called Microsoft Teams. Um, and what I found was that Outlook and Teams and all of these Microsofty things don't quite work as they should. And corporate sign-ins where you know i have to use 27 factor authentication and it was just all becoming more and more complex outside of the world of of uh, pcs so i went i just said to myself okay this is crazy i'm gonna buy myself a, a windows machine and i'm just gonna integrate and so i did i bought myself a, a little laptop um i think i should probably bill them for that i, I must make a note of that somewhere and i bought an android phone I said, okay, look, this is going to be my working for that client. My, that's going to be my corporate rig. I'll have that. Uh, then I realized that I'm old and I need a bigger monitor. So I got a monitor that I can connect um, the, uh, the laptop to. Uh, and I have that literally as I sit now, I'm looking at my Mac. I'm recording on my Mac. And behind me, I have another desk, a standing desk. Well, it's a shelf actually, but hey, it's almost a desk. Where I have the, the window set up. And I, I literally context shift so i go okay i'm now going to go and do the jobby job stuff and i go and stand over there use a different system a different computer uh, and work on that and then i'll i'll stop doing that and say okay i need to do some stuff for nero's and i'll come back to the mac because all of nero's is on the mac all of my writing is on the mac now there are some areas where i cross over so uh for all of my different interests i write so I need to have writing software that will work on all machines and go to a sort of central place. 
but mostly I'm experimenting now with keeping everything ring fenced. So I've always believed in the past, I've always had all my email, for example, come to one place. Uh, and I've stopped doing that now. So <laughs> I cannot actually see my jobby job email on my personal phone. I can't see it. I, I could if I logged into all sorts of stuff. But um, it's I, I'm trying to establish boundaries is where I'm getting to in a long roundabout sort of way, uh, where I can, I can say, okay, I've closed that laptop. I've, I've switched that phone off. Jobby job, be gone. I'm, I'll see you tomorrow. Whereas the other stuff does tend to leak over into, into my private time because, you know, Nero's Notes is a passion project. Uh, I am the, the head of, well, everything. And if somebody, somebody's got an issue, got a problem, you know, they're a customer and I want to get back to them and, and help them out. So somebody needs some advice or they're, you know, they want to know where their order is or all the stuff that comes with running a retail business. I don't mind that pinging up on my phone in the evening and go, because, you know, it could take two minutes to, to send someone a tweet. Whereas leaving it to the next day, you're upsetting a customer. Who wants to do that? So, yeah, I'm using all the things. I'm getting an overview of everything. What about you? You're, you're still a Mac man through and through, are you not? I, I am, but I'm actually a uh, listening to you talking about your uh, your cognitive shift between one and the other. Um, I'm a Mac guy, but I'm also a multi Mac guy. I live my creative world on. Uh, I know this is going to sound terrible. Uh, I've got a 2019 16 uh, inch MacBook Pro. That is where I do all my creative stuff, including recording this. This is hooked up to my all of my um, music gear, and I use that for pretty much everything. I've got a 27-inch monitor hooked up to that. For my jobby job, I still use a Mac, but I actually use a, an M1 13-inch um, MacBook Pro. The reason for those is I can then keep those separate. Much like you, Stu, I want to be able to shut down at the end of my day and I actually have a an omnifocus task that pops up and reminds me to go through a shutdown routine yep. and we'll we'll talk about those uh, in in much more detail I'm sure in a, an upcoming episode uh, but I I keep that separate so at a certain time I've got my hours and yeah I'll I'll check in you know um, usually before bed take a look and and see if anything blew up that I wasn't aware of I don't have any email on my phone. So there's, there's one for you. Mm. I don't have Slack on my phone. I don't have anything that beeps. Um, I can use my phone for phone calls, text messages, which are usually, you know, if it's, if it's important, somebody can reach out and get me. And I use it for a really nice camera. But uh, I'm, my phone is unfortunately uh, pretty limited in what it does. And I do that. Um, I blame Cal Newport for that. I did a digital minimalism Sure. Um, yep. Retreat a couple of years ago, and just found how how nice it was. Um, you know, email. We talked we talked about that a little bit. I, I got rid of social media, and I was sitting on the couch spending time with my wife, and I realized I was flicking through the refresh on my email and seeing what came in. And like you, I have you know each one of my creative endeavors has its own email account. I have my jobby job email account, or a couple of them as cases. 
And I was just flicking through those, looking for new things to do. And I thought, my God, I may as well be surfing Facebook for all of the attention that I'm spending with my family. I've chosen to do this, and yet here I am on the couch um, surfing that. So everything went off my phone, and I really haven't gone back and quite enjoy that. I, I live in a corporate world, so I do have to use uh, Microsoft products. I use Outlook uh, to keep that segment of my jobby job uh, separate from my Apple Mail, which is more my personal stuff. I use Excel, which, uh, as as Stu so rightly pointed, Microsoft cripples. I think I'm using a, a the latest version for Mac, which is a 2016 Windows version. Yep. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of new stuff that isn't out. I look at those trade-offs, and uh, my my business is a Windows-based system. I said, okay, I'll work here, but I'm bringing my own computer in because I don't want to use your Windows one. <laughs> uh, and that has a cost to me, um, but it also has uh, an accessibility to productivity tools for me that's very important for my workflow. So that's kind of where I am. It's a different, a different way and in some ways very similar to, to you in that we've managed to separate our, our, our creative side and our, our work side, our business side, uh, through, through the use of technology and, and different systems. And I think that's really important and sort of a great point that is a different difference because we're on different systems, but also very similar as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for me, it's an evolving, uh, an evolving thing. And I, that I dare say, well, I know we will touch on that. So I know you tried, Hey, uh, email. I tried Hey email. I'm now back in Hey for all uh, all of about 24 hours so far. But the real the real epiphany was not Hey specifically. It was, oh wow, look at all this email I'm getting. What's it for? What's it relevant to? Where does it need to be? Um, because there's a lot of stuff that, as you say, I don't need coming to my phone. And I can send that off to different places. And it was understanding that separation and that context shift that's really made a difference. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll touch back to that one day. <laughs> one thing that I did think was funny, and I, I sort of wanted to point that out, is uh, Europe and North America, I'm in Vancouver uh, in Canada here, we're 10 hours apart. Uh, so we're talking to each other. I'm uh, first thing in the morning, Stu's just wrapping up his business day. Even communication is a little bit different from place to place as well. We had uh, a lot of fun going back and realizing that most of the ways Stu and I have talked to each other for many years uh, are, what do you call them, Stu? Rabbit holes of distraction? Yeah, indeed they are. Attention, what does somebody else call them? Uh, infinity pools. There we go. Infinity pools, yes. So, you know, we, we talk on Slack, we uh, will talk through Instagram and, uh, you know, uh, just because of the time difference, uh, certain things like um, iMessage may not be the best thing because I'll be going in, you know, 10 hours difference half the time that uh, I'm awake, still sleeping and vice versa. So we wanted to sort of be aware of that. Um, neither of us particularly like uh, some of the data privacy challenges with some of the software out there for communication. So uh, I, I have uh, a special app with only one contact just for Stu. <laughs> uh, which, which we then stopped using. Uh, and then we've <laughs> talked uh, on everything else, but. Um, and immediately started recording back on Skype. You know, <laughs> the, 
It's, it's, it's that desire for the vintage never goes away, does it? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, sort of a funny thing. And I think we'll certainly have to get into that is uh, communication channels are are really a factor in how how do we structure our world so that, uh, you know, you something you need to do. You know, and this is a problem I think that uh, you get into with email that we've, we've sort of touched on a little bit. Uh, you go into an e- I, I, let's say I went into email to send an email to Stu. Uh, I've probably got 10 other emails sitting there waiting, tr- clawing at me, trying to get my attention. Uh, and that becomes sort of that infinity pool. It's quick and easy to get in there and, and go down that track. So trying to come up with a best way to communicate was was certainly a challenge. Uh, the way I would communicate in North America, text message, certainly changes when you're now dealing with that distance and that that time scale and you know the the cost of communication from from across the world almost so it was uh, an interesting thing that i thought would uh, bring more variance to what we're talking about because it's not as simple as we all do this together there are so many different ways to productivity and i think what i wanted to do is show that Stu and i even though we're similar in a lot of ways in age and demographic we're also quite different in how we use our tools, uh, what tools we use, um, and what that implementation looks like in our productive world. Absolutely. And clearly, we're going to have to be disciplined about timings. Whew, we could keep going here for a while. <laughs> oh, actually, I was going to ask one question. Go. What is the tool of the week? Uh, pick a tool that had an impact on your productivity this week. A tool that had an impact. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go for the Humble Index card. Oh, interesting. It's something that... Um, Just a, a standard three by five. Exactly that, yeah. So I've been using one of those at the end of each day uh, to to sort of set up my following day. Have you seen the uh, Baron Fig Index cards? I have. And in fact, I've ordered some. But uh, thanks to a virus and a political storm... Um, <laughs> they haven't got as far as me just yet. Uh, they are wonderful. They have a pre-printed checklist on one side, um, which is really, really helpful. In my opinion, how to make a, a great tool, uh, the hipster PDA index card, uh, how to jazz it up one little way. Yeah. I'll tell you another one you should have a look at. Um, Ugmonk. Mm. Uh, the, uh, literally as it sounds, U-G-M-O-N-K, analog. Yeah, he's called it. And it's, it's a very similar concept, but executed with a very nice little walnut card holder as well. <laughs> Again, beware, going to that website may cost you money if you have an interest in productivity in the analog. But uh, it's, uh, it's a lovely, lovely set. I've got one of those uh, in front of me to my left and to my right, I have uh, some plain index cards. Because I have, I have thoughts and plans about coming up with a, a, shall we say, a guided system. Excellent, excellent. Uh, my choice this week, and it, probably because it's something new, but I'm still absolutely in love with it. Uh, I got the uh, Leonardo Memento Zero Piston Grande in Primary Manipulation by Jonathan Brooks. It's wow. a pist- piston filler. It's a beautiful fine nib, which means uh, Stuart's not interested at all. But <laughs> I can change the nib. <laughs> yeah, it is an absolutely gorgeous pen. It it's 
balanced correctly. It's the right size for my hand uh, and that nib on it. Uh, normally, Italian nibs tend to be a little uh, thick for my taste. Sure. And this one is absolutely gorgeous uh, for some reason. It just really hit checks on everything. And uh, it's it's one of those that I keep reaching for. It's on my little pen stand on my desk, and that is has been my tool of choice for this week. Fantastic. It sounds quite the machine. I shall have to get a photo of that somewhere. But if you don't do, you still do social. Put it up on the, on the, the Insta. Let me have a look at that. I think we should probably do an overview of our to-do systems. How do we do our to-do lists? How do we focus our days? Because I think both of us have touched on the fact that we have our digital side and then we plan out our days using analog tools. And I think that'd be a great way to introduce what we actually do in a very small slice um, on the next episode. Uh, Stu, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to find out more about you? Uh, but the best place to track me down would be uh, stuartlennon.com, www.stuartlennon.com. Or um, if you've got a, an interest in stationery, you should probably pop by www.nerosnotes.co.uk. Uh, but beware, it'll cost you. <laughs> yes, it will. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Uh, so the best place to find me, all of the projects that I'm working on, podcasts and everything like that, is at my personal website, justintwyford.com. Uh, my last name, T-W-Y-F-O-R-D. You can also find my writing on stationery, because we are obviously going to be touching on analog quite a bit, at writeexperience.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to our very first episode. Uh, it's a bit of a meandering who we are and what we're interested in. Uh, we'll get a little bit more focused on our next episode. So until then, say goodbye, Stu. Goodbye, Stu.